0: Welcome to Blind Man and the Elephant. These are your hosts, Neeraj and Osho.
1: This is a podcast where two friends discuss a whole host of ideas that range from across the spectrum, from economics to culture, politics to sport. And we hope to bring our fresh perspective to things that are happening around us.
0: We live in times where there is an information overload. So this is our attempt to make some sense of the noise.
1: You can listen to us on all major podcast streaming apps including Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and Anchor as well as of course YouTube. You can check out all our links in the description along with this episode. Hello everyone, welcome to Blind Men and the Elephant
0: episode 7.
1: Hi Neeraj, it's been a while, how are you?
0: Hi, Osho. Yes, it certainly has. Uh, This is like, I think it's the biggest break we've ever taken between episodes.
1: Yeah. Only break, I
0: hope. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, just for our listeners, I actually moved countries and I've uh, moved uh, to Laos. It's this country in Southeast Asia. And because of this move, I was, well, busy with, you know, just finding an apartment and those kind of things. And um, yeah, maybe one day we can. Make an episode about this whole process of how one moves countries and that kind of thing, but here we are now and we're ready to go yeah, very
1: soon we'll make one I hope once you have some sort of an idea about what that
0: country is yep absolutely i'm 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 just figuring it out uh, I'm literally a blind man f- trying to figure out the elephant that is Laopedia right now, so yeah give me some time and uh, I'll get there awesome so.
1: Who's our guest this time?
0: So we have our uh, very old mutual friend, Tanvi. And by old, I mean we've known her for a while. Well, actually, you know what, Osho, I think we should just let Tanvi introduce herself because I don't think we do justice to it.
1: Tanvi, present yourself.
2: Hi, guys. It's so good to be here. And uh, Neeraj, thank you for that clarification about old. Although I do in my heart feel like I'm 70. But um, yeah, definitely as old as you guys. Um, So yeah, of course, a little bit about myself. I um, studied with Neera Janosho in St. Xavier's and did a major in psychology. Um, So yeah, and then after that, in around 2016, I chose to go for my master's to Melbourne. But what happened is I had a few months in between. And of course, I had to be conventionally productive. So I chose to do an internship in Germany with this professor of psychiatry and help her collate some data and write a couple of research papers on patients with Tourette syndrome who she'd personally seen over the course of her career so far so i did that for about three months came back and then left for melbourne completed my master's in counseling and worked there briefly after that as a school counselor and then came back to uh, india but at that time i felt very sort of unprepared to really jump into another job in the mental health field. So I thought of, you know, addressing my own mental health issues and picking up some tool for self-inquiry, I guess, and chose to do a yoga teacher training. And that was my sort of formal entry into yoga. And that's when I realized that I was still carrying this idea of yoga as a largely physical practice, you know, wearing certain kinds of clothes and having the silent internal competition about who can really contort their body the most, who can do the most complex uh, physical postures. And that was largely my idea of uh, yoga. So even though I did start teaching and now I um, identify myself as a yoga teacher, it was then that I realized that that's not what I want to be teaching. And also, having an understanding of yoga for myself. So I took a break from that and decided to also look at uh, mental health as a professional field and try and delve into that a little bit. So I came across the job opportunity that I'm currently working with. And it was working with an NGO called Project Mumbai. Uh, We're in the mental health space for one. And whilst working there, I also chose to explore Uh, my understanding of yoga better to sort of be more consistent with what I wanted it to be to try and tie it together with mental health and see the benefits of yoga in mental health so I went down to Chennai for further training uh, in this style of yoga in this tradition of yoga called the krishnamacharya tradition of yoga which works with yoga therapy and looks at how every individual is different so you have to take into account the age the profession the uh, medical history, the interests of this person before you know giving them a sequence or before trying to understand what would work best for them, and uh, that really sort of stood out to me, and I chose to sort of continue to teach in that style. So currently, I'm working with Project Mumbai as a psychologist and also teaching yoga um, and trying to bring mental health benefits of yoga into the picture to the audience.
0: That's a little bit about myself. Thanks, Tanvi. That's awesome. And well, I've known you for a while, but it's really nice for you to have laid laid it out. And and it's actually incredible the amount of things you've been up to. I think we always had this joke going on amongst us where you have this need to be productive. And well, that's something that we always used to make fun of. But no, it's it's incredible to see all the stuff that you've done. But I want to explore a bit more about, you know, what made you actually, you know, move aside from the traditional path that most counselors take, especially with your kind of education, like what made you personally really want to traverse this path of tying up mental health and yoga? Could you tell us a little more about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think something that I have to address is that whilst doing my masters, my mental health was sort of taking a hit. and coursework was definitely high and being in a space, uh, a physical space that was very unfamiliar uh, to me was definitely sort of uh, bearing upon my resources quite heavily. And like I mentioned that I had uh, this brief period of time where I worked as a student counselor in Melbourne, in one of the schools. What happened then is that very regularly, I would see 10 and 11 and 12 year olds coming into the student wellbeing center and presenting with concerns of uh, severe anxiety, holding on to and living with a lot of trauma, and uh, that manifesting in physiological symptoms as well. So, whilst I was actively trying to be of the most help to them, I also found myself doubting myself constantly as to whether I'm actually being able to be of any use. You know, am I effective? Am I doing the right thing? Just constantly questioning everything I said in that session without necessarily being able to be sure, without able, without being able to trust my instinct. And that made me realize that, you know, sort of jumping into a conventional counseling job or having a private practice might not be the best way to go once I came back to India, which is why I chose to do this yoga teacher training as a way to address my own mental health. And I found that my experience of it was really helpful. So whilst I did say that there was a still, like there was still a lot of competition and struggling with this idea of um, what yoga is, and what it isn't, I also was learning I was also able to delve into self inquiry, and I was able to appreciate that. So reading about the immense amount of content that is available on yoga as an adjunct treatment for uh mental health issues in addition to psychotherapy that was one thing experiencing it myself was even better and then you know approaching other people with that idea and allowing them to experience it was like a third thing so realizing that i could do this and add to the experience of people in addressing their mental health issues was something that stood out to me um whilst having a private practice is something that's still on my mind And hopefully in the future, I I do sort of develop on that. Right now, working in a community mental health setting, like I do with Project Mumbai, is uh, is really exciting for me because we work with a small team of counselors like myself, and there's so much learning that's coming not only from them, but also in working with uh, the children in the schools that I'll probably tell you a little bit more about um, as we go. So we're learning from so many different stakeholders in society. And that is what I feel I need as a sort of starting counsellor. So um, I think that's the reason why you would not see me just have a private practice and hold on to just that, but also delve into these other modes of personal and professional development.
1: That's damn fascinating. So when you were talking about you working with 10, 11-year-old children who were having physiological symptoms i just wanted to understand how do you think that happens how do you think that mental health has that kind of repercussion on physical health and then how does your physical well-being start the journey of better mental health because i'm guessing that's somewhat how yoga helps with mental health or am i being too stupid Uh,
2: no osho i think that that's a great question so as i understand what you're asking um it has to are you are you suggesting that you know, what would be the sort of meeting point of yoga and mental health towards intervention, right? Towards addressing mental health issues.
1: That's at the solution level. But I think more in terms of where does physical and mental health meet? Where do they meet at a more simple level? Why is it that when I feel anxious that I lose hunger or, or whatever example that you can give better? But why is it that these things happen? And then how is it that yoga solves that problem?
2: okay awesome i understand that better now and um i think to address this question we might have to do like a quick biology lesson if that's okay okay uh yeah so just to be able to understand how um, the body and the mind or the physical and the mental meet and how they're related to each other and how they influence each other on a, like an ongoing basis uh, we can try to start at maybe our nervous system and particularly our autonomic nervous system, which is responsible for regulating a lot of involuntary actions like your heart rate or digestion, respiration. So a lot of things that are extremely important, but at the same time, we're not consciously doing these things. So what tends to happen is the autonomic nervous system has your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system. And both of these are responsible for opposite, doing opposite things. So I'll give you an example. With the sympathetic nervous system, what tends to happen is it's responsible for hiking up your heart rate, you know, uh, shutting down digestion, allowing the blood to rush to the extremities, salivation stops, so your mouth goes dry, sweating increases. So all of these things are important because in the face of a threat, in the face of a perceived danger, your body needs to be prepared to either face that danger, and defeat it in a way or to run away from it right so either way to save yourself and that is important but at the same time you also need that sort of deregulation to happen you need your uh, digestion to resume you need your pupils to constrict once that danger is gone away Uh, maybe the heart rate comes back down to normal respiration becomes deeper and more relaxed. And those are the functions of your parasympathetic nervous system. And what tends to happen is that in a lot of cases of anxiety, you are even in the absence of a threat, thinking about this threat and experiencing those physiological symptoms at that point in time. So an example of this could be being very restless even when you're on holiday. You know, you're trying to relax on a beach but you find that your heart is beating really fast or you're sweating you know, uncontrollably, digestion goes for a toss often. A lot of the cases of IBS and indigestion stem from anxiety and chronic stress. Chronic stress, chronic anxiety can really sort of throw a lot of things out of the window. And what you want to do is arrive at a balance of when to turn that sympathetic system on, which is fight or flight, as you guys might have heard. Uh, freeze is another response that is sort of being researched now, um, and you know talked about a lot more, but earlier it was just fight or flight. So between that and between knowing when to relax and realize that there is no threat, no immediate danger around you to actually tackle or get away from. And with respect to intervention what yoga tends to do is uh, very simply just cultivate present moment awareness and what is present moment awareness it's it's mindfulness right so not just with yoga asana which is the physical postures but even with different uh, other forms of exercise such as calisthenics or you know strength training with weights there is something called mind-muscle engagement, mind-to-muscle connection, which um, means that you should actively be driving your mental faculties towards engaging the certain muscles that are required to do that exercise. Really actively firing those muscles, not just physically, but also driving your attention there for better engagement. And that allows your mind to go away from the thoughts of the future or the past and The worry that that inculcates, Uh, it helps us be really present in the current moment that we are experiencing and experience that wholly as compared to just being physically present and being mentally absent. So that's one thing that yoga does. But at a deeper level, how it does that is it tends to affect. Okay, so I think I'm going to uh, go back into our biology lesson just a little bit. So there is a nerve that is probably the oldest nerve in the human body called the vagus nerve. It's a cranial nerve that allows
0: Did you say the vagus nerve like the like Las Vegas? Uh,
2: <laughs> of course you had to make that association. Uh no, it it I think the spelling is slightly different. This is V A G U S. And um yeah, no, nothing like Las Vegas. I think it's probably the it's probably the opposite, or it's more like a tempering force. I see Las Vegas, in my head, it's it's all about like uh, extravagance and whatnot, whereas the vagus nerve is more of a, I don't know, this mediator between your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system that acts as a switchboard. It allows you to realize that this is when my sympathetic nervous system should turn on, help me get away from whatever danger I'm in the middle of. And this is when I need to allow rest and digest uh, that system to kick on. So your vagus nerve is something that the yogic breathing helps tone. And this breathing technique is called Ujjayi, where you sort of make a small constriction in your windpipe as you breathe in and breathe out. And it has been found to significantly tone the vagus nerve and allow for that, um, you know, realization to kick in more instinctively as to when you want to stress about something when is that going to be beneficial and when is it that you needn't engage those processes so that's another thing that it might help with
0: thanks tanvi um all this conversation about nerves has made me very nervous ah uh, no i'm joking but uh, no thanks number 1 i mean thanks for sharing your story i mean i know it's very it must. It's very personal to you and I'm really happy that you were able to share that with our listeners. This, this. I mean, very honestly, like your biology lesson was so uh, succinct and required. I think I wish my biology teachers back in school uh, taught me that and maybe I would have had a very different career path then. So I know you mentioned that uh, when you were in Melbourne, you had a few issues with your own mental health. So just to actually take a stalk there, How does one know that they are mentally fit? You know, how do I know that my mental health is deteriorating? Like, is there a particular point of time where one should know that, hey, this is when I sort of need some kind of external guidance, or this is when I can, you know, try to fix it on my own. So how do you make that distinction?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think again, to answer, you know, a bunch of questions that you just asked around mental health. I'll very quickly refer to this sort of textbook definition of mental health given by the World Health Organization just because it highlights four particular aspects of mental health stating that this is an individual's ability to um, or the capacity to realize his or her own abilities and secondly to be able to cope with the daily stresses of life to be able to work productively and also in some way contribute to their community at in whichever capacity. So keeping that aside, and we'll come back to it, but you know, in order to be able to look out for yourself, check in with yourself with respect to mental health, it might be a good starting point to um, look at mental wellness on a spectrum. So say mental illness or significant mental distress on like a zero or a one, and mental health or mental well-being being at a 10 so instead of having absolute saying I don't have a diagnosable mental disorder so I'm completely mentally healthy and that changing only with diagnosis what we could do is to probably check in with ourselves daily or sometimes even hourly to see where we stand against these four aspects and and I realized that, you know, how can we see if we are able to realize our own abilities? That's just so abstract. We can probably see if we are able to cope with the stresses of daily life. Am I being irritable towards something today that maybe yesterday I could just be tolerant towards or just laugh off, you know? Um, am I am I being a little more antsy? And that going into the next question of recognizing the range of factors that could be impacting our mental health, it could be neurobiological, it could be environmental and um, you know even social, so things like gender, sexuality, ethnicity, caste and realizing that there's so much intersectionality, all this sort of overlap of these identity markers all coming together to impact your mental health and Uh, Maybe an example of this could be that the lived experience of an Indian Brahmin woman with a physical disability will be very different from a Dalit woman with a disability, which will be very different from the experience of an Indian man with a disability, right? So um, because of all these identity markers, you're sort of coming together to have this cumulative impact on your mental health and mental health cannot be seen as independent of all this intersectionality. So to be able to acknowledge that, to understand what we are benefiting from and what we might be disadvantaged because of, and then if we have it within ourselves to try and unlearn our biases. Um, So that could be like, going far into how to realize where we are mentally but a starting point could be to check in with ourselves with respect to those indicators that we spoke of
1: so you're telling me that it's a journey in self-awareness you teach yourself how to be more and more aware of how you are behaving at a daily level
2: absolutely so i think self-awareness is crucial to understanding our mental health
1: okay i think that's a wrap on the first part of this episode we're going to talk a lot more about how mental health plays into our lives so tune in for episode two part two of our conversation with tanvi thank you so much and once again please like and share and subscribe to our channels i can't tell you how much it's important that you hit that like button thanks